Welcome to Authors Unbound. I'm Peter Campion, Executive Editor at Unbound Edition Press, and it's uh, my pleasure to have Patrick Davis here with me today. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well, especially because we get to talk to an amazing artist today, Catherine Gass, whose photographs I've been just completely enthralled by. I'm really excited about this, too, as as publishers and editors and colleagues, we've gotten to work on this amazing anthology for the last year and a half called The Experiment Will Not Be Bound. And Catherine has been absolutely integral to the entire effort. Um, she's provided guidance and inspiration and photographs uh, of her own work um, and of equal importance has been so helpful um, with the estate of William H. Gass, her father, who is a literary legend and has made never-before-seen photographs and notes and thoughts of his available for this anthology as well. So we get to speak with her as, a, as an artist absolutely in her own right um, across all of these subjects today. You know, if, if I weren't just so amazed by Catherine's work, I'd be totally jealous because in addition to this incredible body of visual art, she sits down and writes an essay for us. And it's just stunning. It's a stunning lyrical essay that gets right to the heart of, you know, what we somewhat glibly call the creative process. How does art get made? She explores the variety of ways in which meaning gets constructed, the way it changes with each viewing, um, and how the very act of reading itself contributes to what a text means. And then, as if that's not enough, she takes photographs, um, as we talk about, of what it's actually like to read something and the challenges that come with that. It's it's such an exciting conversation. It's actually one of my favorite podcasts that we've recorded so far because her mind is so wide wide ranging and her thoughts are so carefully considered that it's it's just a treat to hear her think and talk and share her views. So, please enjoy our conversation today with Catherine Gass on Authors Unbound. and welcome to this episode of Authors Unbound, the podcast connecting passionate writers and passionate readers. I'm here, as always, with my friend and colleague, Peter Campion. Hi, Peter. Hi, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. We're going to get to talk about one of my favorite projects we've ever done today, which is our experimental anthology called The Experiment Will Not Be Bound. Um, so many amazing contributors. The Kirkus Reviewer uh, pointed out the wonderful diversity of it and and the energy. And uh, in fact, if there was any any critical comment, it was like it was too energetic, um, which I, I don't think is like is a problem at all. So um, among those just kind of wonderful variety of contributors, including, you know, former Poets Laureate and um, people who are publishing their first poems, um, 
lot of, of variety uh, regionally, ethnically, formally, all kinds of stuff. And there's there are a few uh, contributors whose who whose work I am more um, compelled by right now than than Catherine Gass um, by both uh, obviously her photography and but also um, her writing. She wrote an amazing um, forward for us. She did. Catherine's been really supportive and helpful with uh, this anthology, which was inspired by the, to some degree, the vision for the tunnel, which is the masterwork of William H. Gass. Um, and we're thrilled to have Catherine here joining us today on Authors Unbound. Catherine, how are you? I'm good. I'm very excited about this project and thank you to both of you. Um, yeah, I, uh, this project is has it does have great energy. I have to say that's sort of infectious, um, which is so encouraging given the last few years in the world. Um, and so I'm very very happy to participate and uh, you know meet Patrick and form this relationship with you both. It's absolutely mutual. Um, one of the things, and folks will not have seen this book um, just yet, if it can even be called a book, but it is experimental, not just in the writing uh, that it features, but in form. It is an unbound book. It lives in a manuscript box. Um, it appears rather deviously to be a shuffled stack of papers, uh, which uh, in a in a rough black cloth box, which came from the design notes for the tunnel. So it's an homage to someone who has inspired us all so much. But it's really about the, both the making and the unmaking of a book. It is at once a book and not a book. And one of the things that I think is so special about this experiment is the photography um, that is in the book, which, um, Catherine, you contributed. Um, absolutely stunning photographs of books that are in different states of decay. And I wonder if you might just share with listeners sort of what you do professionally um, in, in, uh, at the Newberry and other places and how your art is focused on both, both books that are, are being um, preserved and books that are decaying at the same time. Where's that interest come from? Yeah, thank you. I have sort of two uh, careers. One is a photographer for the Newberry Library in Chicago, and I've been there uh, a very long time since the day of the darkroom, believe it or not, um, and also teach photography at the Art School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, and I started a series a very long time ago, um, which I did dip in and out of called the infestation series. And the whole series is photographs of book damage made by man or insect, or sometimes you don't know whether, um, natural elements. And, um, it's a combination of books that I've found, um, or bought, or books that are in my home, um, as well as I, of course, photograph for the Newberry Library, and they have a, <laughs> uh, millions of options for me to <laughs> photograph. And so um, when I find s something um, that is very compelling to me, 
I will photograph it and investigate it in an entirely different way than I would for normally. Um, and so the two, two photographs that are in um, the anthology both come from the Newberry Library. Um, and one is Aristotle's masterpiece, which I stumbled upon. So I don't, I don't know that there's going to be something interesting in the book until I open the book. Um, and so Aristotle's masterpiece, I w- was compelled. It was, first of all, a very interesting title. I did not know much about it. Um, it, I believe, was written like in uh, 1684 originally, um, falsely claimed to be by Aristotle, but it is not. It's essentially a sex manual, midwifery book. Um, and so it's, it's the illustrations are very interesting. Um, the language is very interesting. And there on one of the pages, there is a pair of scissors that have blotted out the text of the page. And I found that very, very interesting. Um, Primarily because I wondered, well, how did that happen? They also look like medical scissors, and some of the illustrations in the book are very, you know, anatomical and medical, and um, and so it looks like the scissors were left on the printing press, um, which is also very interesting. Uh, so I liked how it really reshaped the text of that page, and changes sort of your perspective on how you're reading that text um, specifically in that, in that piece. It sure does. And, you know, it's, it's so evident that this manual, this, this falsely attributed manual was kind of printed underground um, and in rushed ways and, and that the mistakes of that kind of printing end up transforming the, the, um, the text itself. I think, uh, and readers will see this in the in the anthology. I think the um, scissors also look like a shadow of James Joyce's iconic glasses, and of course, Joyce refers to Aristotle's masterpiece in Ulysses. Um, and so, there is also this kind of intertextual play between uh, uh, allegedly ancient text, sort of um, underground text, and then one of the great pillars of modernism. Um, and so I, f- I find that image to to speak so much um, and to so many other pieces and ideas that have fueled this anthology. Yeah, it's a great uh, connection. Um, Joyce wrote, Mr. Bloom turned over idly pages of Aristotle's masterpiece, crooked uh, botched print, Plates, infant, cold in a ball, in bloodied wounds, like livers of slaughtered cows. So what's interesting about that is you wonder if Joyce saw the botched plate, the same edition. I did research the um, printing to know, you know, see if this is a one-off or if multiple editions were printed this way. I only found one other copy that's been um, recognized as having this uh, printer error. Um, so one doesn't know if, um, how many copies are out there, but it is interesting that James Joyce says a crooked botched print um, 
when referring to it. And I love that discovery because I only I only do the research afterwards. And so it's interesting to find connections um, to a larger world and how it works with anthology is perfect in that in that connection. Your essay, you know, that just its title, Time as an Author, seems to me to connect, of course, with those photographs and in general with your in your work with this uh faith in error and uh and and chance and um the way that the the whole physical universe has taken its shape not by something we just decided to do but by this kind of accretion of things out of control and which is interesting to me because looking at the photographs they're also just so beautifully uh composed i'd say there there's a um a delicacy in many of them um i'm going on because i really am crazy about these photographs and um and other uh shows of yours like faulty diction um which again is a show connecting text and and uh, an image, and also this idea of the author being something other than the supposedly free-willed uh, genius sitting at a typewriter or whatever. Yeah, I was I, I was just wondering, like, um, uh, I guess about how text plays into your your uh, um, work as an art as a visual artist. Similar to how photographs work, certainly in the film days, um, you when you take a picture, you don't really know what you're going to get until you later develop the film and look at it. And so there's this sort of gap of time that used to happen <laughs> with film between when you photographed something and then saw the results. And I started to think about how when you approach a book um, and open it, you're not always the same person when you're reading. Um, and so you, that you change every time you ap approach a text um, and how they're similar in a sense of discovery um, and that you could go back to a photograph and look at it, you know, um, five years in the future and you're gonna see something different. Um, and yeah, and so, was just surrounded by books and um, they do act for me as a sort of surprise when you open them and then engage. And it's similar to how when you photograph and then you engage in something and flatten it out, <laughs> flatten a larger world out to one dimension and then look at it entirely differently. So similar to how text on a page works, you have that one page in that one moment that you're looking at um, and your experience is contained within that frame of the page. And that can change at different times. It's almost as if the book reads you. Right, right. What we're speaking of just now makes me think of your foreword. And I wonder if I might read a bit from it where you sort of introduce some of these ideas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This is from Time as an Author uh, by Catherine Gass. It's the foreword to The Experiment Will Not Be Bound. I think of time as another type of author. There was this photograph of a dead bird, its body run over and flattened amidst wood chips. I believed it to be, to have been, 
a pigeon. Its chest, beak, wings, and claws, all flat. The pigeon's quill feathers splayed out evenly. In my mind, it is a pigeon. It is not a pigeon. It is a photograph. It is a memory. This photograph hung in the foyer of the house where I grew up. It rested in a small oval antique frame painted gold, distressed and peeling at the edges, red paint underneath showed through, a picked scab, gilded. My father made that picture. He took thousands of photographs. He shot slide film for sharing visual examples in his philosophy of aesthetics and philosophy of architecture classes at Washington University in St. Louis. In 1986, he published some of his photographs along with texts destined for the tunnel in a special issue of River Sticks, number 21, called Family Album. He was, as the literary world knows, deeply interested in metaphor. From him, I learned to understand that something utterly ordinary really could become astonishing, meaningful, depending on how it was framed presented and thus seen a pigeon not a pigeon as you talk about something being flattened out right and seen differently each time you look at it seen differently when you when you photograph it and then the waiting for the surprise of when the film comes back i wonder what it's like to sort of see through multiple sets of eyes at once, you know, how do you, uh, when you compose a piece, how many different versions of the piece are you seeing and thinking about? So for the infestation um, series, just in terms of the process, I probably, I take multiple um, photographs and try and see it from different perspectives or shooting it under different lights with different lenses. Um, I guess that's sort of the literal <laughs> response to that. Um, Do you think of it in two dimensions when you're shooting, or are you still seeing it in three dimensions? No, I still see it in three dimension. Um, I mean, it, it you still have a sort of transformative process when it gets to the computer and it's flattened. So you still, you really are experiencing it as a three dimensional object. And that can be very a very visceral experience because depending on what the book is, it has different. It can smell of you know different things. If it's mildew, you can smell that. If someone was a smoker, you can smell that. If it's from the 14th century, you can sometimes open them and smell the incense. Um, so it is a physical experience, um, and I think. Um, more conceptually to your question, you're, when, when I'm photographing the infestation series, I am both a photographer and a reader. So you are, I do read, you are experiencing the book as a reader um, simultaneously uh, as a, also as a photographer, which when I go out in the world, um, you, that's not how I photograph. You're, I'm not a reader. I'm not connecting with language in, in um, any way. It's more formal. I'm going to be forever fascinated by this idea that some of these photographs, at least the two photographs that are in the anthology, are photographs of somebody reading 
as much as they are photographs of text. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of decay, there there are many things going on at once. So, in terms of the the other thing that's interesting is that you're most of the time I'm not reading a clean page, right? So, it's been transformed in some way, silverfish damage or water damage or something that's been cut out, and so most of the time I'm actually approaching it from a reading a page as an abstraction to a degree. Um, I don't look at the title page of the book. Like I, it's sort of like going, approaching a book from the inside out um, and just experiencing the page in that moment. Um, and that experience of that page is, is not what the author intended because it's so either so heavily damaged um, or scribbled upon or um, that it's, that the text itself is transformed in that. I think the idea of surprise and the unexpected and the way that texts change each time we come back to them, they change based on what else we've read, right? And literally just today, about an hour before we decided to um, record this podcast, um, Catherine went back to that issue of River Sticks that is mentioned in her um in her forward the the one uh called family album um there's this passage that um william gass wrote in 1986 uh, it's a little bit emotional uh to read maybe god's a bird in the picture but i see only a tree i don't see a bird I see that the bottom of the world is a lot like the top in death. And if God, the dead bird, was the body of my father's death too, then this is what that bird's bird-sized consciousness, cushioned by the wood chips it was cushioned in, floating like the undertaker's image in formaldehyde, belly up like a dead fish. That's it, the undertaker's hostelry hotel for the endless night, the way my father's death looks from the point of view of God, residing in the eye of a dead bird. And it seems that Catherine and, and, and Bill wrote about the same picture decades and decades apart. I'm just shocked that I uh, just discovered this. I, um, I did in very intentionally, um, Patrick, when you asked me to, to write something to uh, try as best I could to, to separate myself from the books on my shelves and write from a, the visceral experience of memory, um, as opposed to, I was like, don't, don't fact check, look things up, uh, as opposed to like researching my own experience. And so, um, when I started getting into photography, it was about 14 and this, the family album, River Sticks family album came out and it's an amazing literary journal, um, that is out of St. Louis. And, uh, they devoted the whole issue to my, uh, father's text from the tunnel and then his photographs. So it's text and image and his photographs. And so at the time I was very excited. I mean, it's titled 
family album and it's got photographs in it, you know, in his photographs. And so I was very curious and, um, you know, knew certain aspects about the tunnel, but not as it is now. Um, and so, and I don't think really realized, I didn't really realize where the text, um, that would, it was coming from the tunnel when I was reading the family album. And it's a very devastating thing to read um, and look at those photographs. And so some of the photographs I was familiar with, um, but it was so transformative in terms of really thinking about how a photograph could be a metaphor, um, how it could be a different, totally different experience, um, but an experience linked to language. Um, because if you, if you look in the family album, um, the publication, it's a very different experience to see the photographs next to it than in the tunnel. Um, and, and as a, you know, teenager starting to get interested in photography it really did blow my mind I mean I did think well what is this man up to like, what's going on um he was always interested in photography um he uh later in life I learned uh that he wrote the you know review for Susan Sontag's on photography for the New York Times so he's always very visual interested in images and um took photographs for his lectures on philosophy of aesthetics or philosophy of architecture and um, really used the, the images to think about ideas. Um, and so read, so I did not look at family album when I was asked to write this. Um, Cause I was like, don't look, just use your memory and your, <laughs> um, that experience. And so when I was flipping through it, Today, I was like, oh, my God, that, that's that got to be the bird photograph that he's referring to. Where does that photograph live today? Does it hang where, uh, you, where you recall it, or is it elsewhere? It's elsewhere. It's somewhere in my mother's home. <laughs> it's somewhere. Um, but, uh, no, it is moved uh, walls. Um, and it... it it was on the wall, you know, as a child, and it was very curious. It was both horrifying and precious, right? It's in a small oval gold frame. Um, it does greet you as you enter the home. Um, and it is a bird in terms of thinking about the, an image being flattened out to a page, right? It is a bird that's been run over and flattened into um, wood chips and the concrete. I remember when I was studying with Bill, one of the things we would talk about a lot was a moral aesthetic. And if if he could write, let's say, about the death pits um, of the Holocaust, but do so in absolutely lush and beautiful language, the reader then had to face a moral conundrum. Was the passage hideous and revolting, or was it beautiful and enticing? and could form and content um, actually um, engage in essentially in moral debate on the page. Um, and it sounds like this photograph of the bird was at once beautiful and terrifying at the same time. 
Right, right. No, that's a great connection. Um, absolutely. It was sort of the his center theme towards everything. Um, beauty and horror simultaneously. And then who is uh, culpable or held responsible for that? Speaking of, of other texts, well, and, and the photographs, by the way, that you just mentioned of his lectures on aesthetics and architecture, we are we are beyond lucky to have those photographs also included in the experiment will not be bound. Uh, a really wonderful collection of his slides, not all of them, but uh, also his notes for some of those lectures, um, which which make the collection extra special. Um, that it was inspired by um, his uh, design notes for the tunnel and also has a bit of a fingerprint from him in it is extraordinary. And then, of course, in addition to these wonderful slides um, and, and notes, there is um, another photograph and notes from you, which is um, in some ways a, a more complex photograph um, of a damaged book called A Week in Dowie's Zion, a, a book that is also mentioned in Ulysses by Joyce and also has um, its own sort of subversive quality to it. Tell us the story of that photograph and finding that book. Um, it's similar in in sort of stumbling upon it. Um, it's a very curious uh, publication. It is, um, yeah, a week in uh, Dowie Zion. Um, it's, we don't really know when it was printed. It is so heavily silverfish damaged that I don't think there's a single page that's intact. So, and it's a very thin text. Um, so it, it, the whole thing sort of looks like lace. Um, and it's the, the text is very curious because it's both, uh, it's very erotic. So when you approach it, and you know nothing about the text. It's this lacy, erotic set of words, right? Um, that you sort of can, uh, you know, weave in and out of. Um, yeah. So it's a very, it's a very compelling as an object because, in in some ways, it's never been a book. That's how heavily damaged it is. That you you, it's hard to see the book. <laughs> the book you see sort of. Uh, other other things like a sort of uh, topographical map or um, some sort of landscape or um, and because of the sexual na nature of the text it really does seem like a body um, in motion uh, yeah it, it as I understood it it was it was sort of this vicious satire of a Reverend Dowie, who was a evangelical um, and sort of radically progressive evangelical, right? Who was advocating for, let's say, racial equality and for interracial marriage, and um, uh, and and to attack him. This book was written with seven days of 
impure things he should do to himself um, in a very much a technical manual of how he should go about doing such things. <laughs> and it makes me want to read the book, but it's not, I, I If don't. anyone can find it, I mean, this would be a great quest um, because yeah, it's, <laughs> it's um, yeah, I would love to read it. And then, so when I first was looking at it, I almost, you almost didn't know what side to be on, right? Because you don't know, because it, it reads, yeah, it reads as very sexual and sensual. Um, you don't realize it's actually a sort of condemnation of religion. So you should go back and forth forth um and yeah and so it, it he was very progressive and um he spoke out against lynching and racism and um yeah i only learned that it was also meant he's also mentioned in ulysses um when sort of trying to research the the text here's what joyce uh writes in reference to Dowie. <clears throat> His slow feet walked him riverward, reading, Are you saved? All are washed in the blood of the Lamb. God wants blood victim, birth, hymen, martyr, war, foundation of a building, sacrifice, kidney, burnt offering, druids, altars. Elijah is coming. Dr. John Alexander Dowie, restorer of the church in Zion, is coming, is coming, is coming, is coming. All heartily welcome. <laughs> oh, to be in Joyce's hands. Yeah. He... <laughs> no pun intended, right? Or possibly. No pun intended. Uh, I'm blushing. <laughs> and so this text, this amazing, these two amazing photographs are sort of references to Ulysses. And, and one is the making of a book and its printing process. And the other is the unmaking of a book by Silverfish. And they just seemed like perfect photographs to me for this anthology. Oh yeah, I no, I agree. Um, especially in uh, thinking of sort of subversive um, texts or um, subversive ways to to print um, an anthology, right? Um, the way my father envisioned the tunnel being published, he knew no publisher would ever publish it that way. Um, and uh, so it, I, I do love how one um, is a photograph really relating strictly to publishing um, and how something gets made. And, um, and both are you know, very controversial sort of texts, um, banned in some cases. Um, and uh, so that the idea of, that something very profane is very popular and then becomes threatening. <laughs> and so what happens when a text becomes threatening? Um, yeah, so I like looking at the, the images and then just researching these books and then discovering all these other connections. Um, is, is 
very compelling because it, it is a journey. You just don't know what you're um, going to find. I do think there's just one gorgeous section of your foreword. There's an amazing list of, of rules for the care and handling of books, but right after that section into the subject of destruction, um, you say books change like peeling paint and not just because of what readers do when readers read. A little later, silverfish have flat bodies, a bit like living bookmarks. They eat the starch in a book's pages, knowing the nourishment of the words on the plate before them. They thin down the paper until it looks like lace. It is a beautiful destruction. With hunger so hard it hurts, this insect's damage will rewrite the text, leaving new sound and sense for the reader to decipher. Eventually, the infestation, bug, human, who knows, will erode what is holding it all together, and the body of the book is no longer a book at all. It is a disembodied book. It is unmade and remade, a pigeon, not a pigeon. And I wonder, when taking these photographs, did you see them at an in an abstract way, or did you still see them as books? Did you see them as books being unmade, or did you see them as something wholly different uh, in the state that they're in? Um, oh, that's a very good question. I would say for the um, Aristotle, um, where the scissors are on the page, very much as a mistake, as a thinking about the books being made or unmade, um, very much thinking about also though, so the practicality of a, the printing press, um, but also bodies um, and what's considered, because if you look at the illustrations in that book, what's considered a monster. Um, and so what is, cre what is created that we uh, revere and what is created that we want to destroy. Um, so I, I like thinking about those things to those two things together. Um, and for the Dowie's Zion, that was, comp there's no, you can barely think of it as a book. Um, it is so heavily destroyed that it is very much an abstraction. The words are abstract. It's, that's a very much more sort of visceral experience to it. It's a new object. It's an entirely new object. Um, and in terms of what you can take away from, from looking at it, it's, it's not a story. Um, the sentences aren't complete. Um, it's sort of a very fragmented uh, experience. So they're, they're very different in that, in those two ways. Um, but I, I do like that you can, while well, you can always hold an image of a photograph in your mind, I do like how you can, in some ways, hold a little more strongly uh, a word um, or, you know, take the language away from the page and walk around with that um, sort of in your body in a, in a different way that you, you can't really with an image. 
you know, we have this Proust questionnaire, which is our adaptation of the famous Proust questionnaire that I was going to ask you what quality in a photographer or in a photo or in an individual photograph, do you most look for, or do you value most? So, I mean, I think for me, it's all about a combination of sort of curiosity and transformation um, and seeing something in something very small um, detail that could be then transformed into to another experience. I mean, one of my favorite photographers is Vic Munez, um, who really takes object. He basically draws with objects um, and different materials and transforms it into uh, a totally different image. Um, and so I really like, I, I like being subverted, basically having a certain expectation for something and then while I spend time with it, it subverts that expectation. Um, so I probably do have, um, you know, I don't want every photograph to do the same thing. Um, but I think subverting one's expectations, well, that will hold my attention. <laughs> that I'll walk around with. Um, in my head longer than, than showing me something I feel like I know. Here's one. What is your idea of perfect happiness in your artistic life? In, um, well, a ton of money and a ton of time. Would be <laughs> <happiness>. <laughs> the two currencies. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, it's probably a very, very small moment. Um, and it could be, you know, when I'm walking around and photographing and you see something and then you frame it. And for that fraction of a second, it's so satisfying that you paid attention to something that maybe someone else didn't. Or so it's, it's a very, very small moment <laughs> where you you know, um, transformed five seconds of your day. Um, probably I would say just, you know, you want a million moments like that um, where you're walking through the world differently um, because you can see what can be uh, beautiful um, in what is sort of ordinary. Uh, so it would probably be a very, very small moment that I would want a million moments of. And and the time and the money to be able to go find those small moments, right? Right. It's not, <laughs> right. It's not unlike what poets have to do. No, it's everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's the same answer for everyone in that, in that way. Um, but I, I probably don't see a grand moment. Um, I want the million little moments of what I can um, appreciate and recognize as I walk to work in the morning. Um, and find images to photograph or, you know, where you really paying you're just paying attention to the world in an entirely different way. And that is very, very satisfying. I just want to ask you about, you know, right before we were getting started and we were chatting, I was telling Catherine that how much I was enjoying 
her website. And Catherine, you, you told me that it's actually not up to date. And uh, which to me suggests that there's new and exciting projects. And I was wondering, uh, you know, without, you know, with all the appropriate spoiler alerts, if you, if there was um, anything you wanted to tell us about what's, what's uh, in process for you these days. Well, I have a larger series that I need to get um, up on the website um, called, it's called Quiet Chicago Land. And um, it's essentially photographs I took during the pandemic. Um, and I did think of my father a great deal when I was out photographing um, during the pandemic because he had the same um, aesthetic as I did, which is we did not want photographs of, we didn't want people or, or uh, cars in our photographs. Um, and so this sort of quiet formalism that you could experience, um, he would have loved the pandemic and, and for that um, alone. I think every bike rider would agree with that statement as well, um, that uh, taking the people and the sort of, um, cars out of the way um it was very sort of meditative experience for me to walk around in such a quiet city um and so that's a, definitely a series that i am very excited about um and really like the images they are very very different than the infestation series they're completely sort of street photography but very formal um they are spaces that are flattened out. So in terms of a flat page, they're similar. Um, it's not a ton of depth. It's sort of abstraction flattened out. Um, yeah, so that that's um, sort of the latest thing that I've been working on editing and um, printing. That's wonderful. We'll look forward to seeing it. So do I. <laughs> look forward to <laughs> seeing it online, yeah. Hopefully there'll be some wonderful accidents and intersections and discoveries as you go through the photographs and put them together as a collection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that part of the, the struggle is editing, as you both know. Um, it is a difficult, difficult job. <laughs> Thank you so much for making time to join us today, Catherine. It's, as always, a pleasure to talk with you and hear your thoughts and reflect on your work together we're we're big fans of your 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 pictures and of the way you think and um we're so glad to have collaborated together on the experiment will not be bound uh which is forthcoming uh winter of 2022 from unbound edition press it's just about to ship let's hope the thing finally happens the most complex non-book we've ever made <laughs> Well, thank you, Patrick and Peter. I um, really appreciate the conversation and um, the opportunity to to collaborate with you and work with you both. Um, it's a very exciting uh, project um, and wonderful to see something flourishing out of such difficult times that we've had the last few years. So I find it very encouraging. We're going to stick with it no matter what. That's right. Thank you, Catherine. It's such a pleasure to have you as part of it and your work as part of it. It's a real gift. 
Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening today to this edition of Authors Unbound. Our guest has been Catherine Gass. What a great conversation. Thanks again, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you to both. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Authors Unbound. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher, whether it's Amazon, Apple, you name it. Thank you.